its core, healthcare is about people. While the patients are always at the centre of care, that care is delivered by hardworking, passionate people that want to make the world a better place by helping others. The Clinical Excellence Showcase 2019 delved deeper into the people behind the care because it is their dedication, innovative spirit and a desire to give back that keeps our system running. These are the real people delivering remarkable healthcare. Integrating care across the spectrum and putting the patient at the centre of their needs is the way of the future for the system. But why then is it so difficult to effectively design? And, most importantly, sustain? Carolyn Nicholson, Director at the Centre for Integrated Care and Innovation with Mana Health, knows that finding the answer is complex. But once we have, the future of healthcare is limitless and focused on the needs of the individual. Thank you very much for having me. Just a little question, like how do we sustain integrated care in 15 minutes? It's going to be quite a journey and it is going to be a bit of a potted history. So first of all, who needs integrated care? Integrated care has been suggested as a potential solution for fixing some of the major challenges that our health systems are facing today. We have fragmentation, lack of coordinated care. People are talking about that and integrated care has been put forward. We have systems that initially our health systems or acute health systems were designed for infectious diseases when hospitals first started many, many years ago. But now they're faced with an ageing population, chronic disease, multimorbidity, and these have really changed how our health system actually is able to cope with those. Those challenges and those additional numbers of all of those things are putting additional financial strain on the systems that we have today. And we need to look at a different solution to how we might face those. So the chap there on your left um, is a young, fit, generally well person. We do get young, very vulnerable, non-fit people too. But we also have people who have those chronic diseases. This lady here is a cancer patient who has multiple conditions. So you pick your person for integrated care. Integrated care isn't for everyone, but it is for some of the population. This was something that was articulated about how our system needs to respond to changes in the structure around how we incentivise Australia's healthcare system. There's an increased prevalence of chronic disease, the expanded use of inpatient and non-ambulatory care, and how we look at how we provide more, more become more efficient and more effective by changing the historical patterns in which we're of, of how we've been funded in the past. These were the desirable states. This is what we needed. We needed uh, the features of a well-integrated system to look at how we incentivise care, how we incentivise efficiency. Um, we have a flexible system, the one that encourages continuity. You can read the list yourself. So I'm going to ask you very quickly, who thinks it's the first one, which was COAG in 2016? Just stick your hand up. Who thinks it's the Primary Healthcare Advisory Group? in 2015. I can't see, so it's okay. The Primary Healthcare Strategic Framework, who thinks that was said then? A couple of people. The NHHRC, the Reform Commission in 2009, who said that, thinks that? A few more, that's good. The um, Premier's Conference in 1990, nobody? 
and when Medicare came in, the health legislation bill. Very interesting, most people. Okay, it actually was at a Premier's conference, to th I put the last one in, because everyone thinks it's the last one, so it's, very, it's quite an interesting little thing that, but it was 30 years ago. So we've been talking about this for an awful long time, but why is it not happening? So like Methuselah, who was a biblical figure who survived, in theory, for just under a thousand years, are we going to be talking about integrated care in the same way? We have lots of policy reports, we have various announcements, we have all sorts of things that say, yes, it's a good idea, but our evidence for it is still scant, and we still need to work out a little bit more how we show that what we're doing is having an impact, and we tend to use the quadruple aim framework to do that. Why is this reform so hard, and, why, and what can we do using to the levers that we have today to try to move that forward? forward. And as Einstein said, you know, we sometimes have to look at different ways of doing things rather than the ways that we did when we created the system. And so what we've come up with is the Greenpeace think global but act local. So in thinking globally, internationally health reform is looking at integrated care. I'm not going to go through all of it because it's all quite sort of complicated, but in the UK we have integrated care systems, ICSs, and the, the five-year forward plan, which is called for removing some of the barriers around how we provide care, including the funding. In New Zealand, people will know about the at the meso level, the primary health organisations and their district health boards like our HHSs, and they're forming alliances. So we're not talking about putting all funding into one spot. Everyone has their funding, but it's about working together about how we use that funding around what the population needs. Um, they have a mantra, one system, one budget. Not pooled, not one bucket, but one system, one budget. It's very different. And in the USA, we have accountable care organisations and patient-centred medical homes. Um, and again, they're looking at a blended funding model. You have different organisations, but you actually have focus it on what the population need. In Australia, we have the Healthcare Home, which was suggested through the PHAG group. And we also have uh, COAG talking about and our um, bilateral agreements talking about some parts of integrated care, but not necessarily integrating for the whole system. And that is a challenge that we have. All of them are looking at all those things on the screen, looking at how what our funding is and how, what the accountability is, particularly for the primary care sector. A lot of these have been beefing up the primary care sector to take on some of that role that we currently and have been doing through the acute system. A strong integration with acute the private and particularly the social care system, we'll come to that in a minute, whole of system planning. We're very good at planning for primary care or community or social care, private, but we don't always all come together. Looking at how we improve access to care services in the community, the use of E and how we might use that more to provide care locally to where people are. And I said we tend to focus on using the quadruple aim, patient satisfaction, health provider satisfaction, efficiency and clinical outcomes as the domains in which we measure care. We did a piece of work uh, about 10 years ago now in thinking in the, in the ACT local. So we looked at what was happening and we said, well, what are we doing? And we, we looked at a number of initiatives that were happening. The clinical models of care and the how we transfer information and that communication tends to be something that we do quite well. This was locally here in Queensland. The interprofessional education and how we educate our health professionals for care for a population was starting to be looked at by some universities, particularly in the undergraduate areas, but there's still work to be done. But the big gap really in looking at how we get the sustainability for a health system, not part of a system, but was the governance. States fund some things, federal government fund other things. How we actually get that system to work, the governance was really the missing link. 
So what we really need to do is we need to look at a governance model that's going to work for the system to integrate care for those people who need it. We need funding and funding models and mechanisms that support this. We need to go from activity-based to, to outcome-based. We need to look at the alignment of what the providers do, what the end users need, and what the policymakers need. We have to work at that macro, meso, and micro level. And we need to focus. We talk about being patient-centred, but we truly need to engage our community and our consumers in what it is that they want. That's my favourite quote. Everybody had a piece of the jigsaw, but we don't always have the, jigsaw, the, piece, the, the picture on the box, and that's where the consumers come in. I'm not going to talk about Canterbury per se. I'm going to give you three very quick examples about what some changes that have happened. So there's a reference there. If any of you haven't heard about Canterbury, I'd be surprised. Canterbury in New Zealand has, over the last 20 years, two decades, created a whole heap of changes with health pathways, with they have an older person, well, acute demand management system, done a lot of work around how they beef up primary care and move things away. So in their acute medical admissions, you can see the red here, oh, sorry, um, which is the... Canterbury is kind of had kept a flat line in acute medical admission rates over that period of time and everywhere else in New Zealand they've increased. This actually shows what they've done is they've invested as a group within the community setting and they've actually disinvested or put less money into the acute care setting. So this is the pocket of money for the whole population. It's not they're funded separately like us with state and federal or similar. Basically, what they've done is put the investment more into that primary care setting. In Michigan, in the US, Blue Cross Blue Shield, they have invested in beefing up their prime, what we call a healthcare home, patient-centered medical home, over 10 years. You can see that they've had a decrease in visits to ED and a decrease in ambulatory sensitive inpatient stays. And that is really by beefing up the primary health care, family medicine section they call in the US. They're now moving to a patient-centred medical neighbourhood where they're including the specialists and the acute care services in this. In the 10 years to date, they have saved 626 million, not saved, but they've redirected by providing care closer to where the patient is and moving it away from the hospitals. So it is really quite significant, although I do acknowledge the US have started in a different spot to both New Zealand and Australia. This is something that I've been involved with, and again, I think a lot of you will be very familiar with this type of work with a, an older person team. We had no additional funding, we just redirected funding. We've got 3.4 nurse, clinical nurses in ED who've all been practice nurses in primary care, and their focus really is to look at how we consider alternatives to traditional inpatient care for this particular bunch of uh, group of patients, the older frail people in ED who are coming to ED. As many other people, you can see from 2017 is this line. This is over 75 is coming to ED. 2018, and then this is so far 2019, and it's increasing year on year. And I'm sure every health service is having the same thing. The frailty scores of our patients, they are all severely frail or very frail or severely frail. The over 75s, the majority of them are. And those who are coming in from aged care facilities Ours is the blue line here. Royal Brisbane was the, the red line. Ours is the black line. So we're getting a massive increase in people from aged care facilities. And by essence, because they're in aged care facilities, they are frail. The people who are coming to acute hospitals are really, really frail. The thing I want to draw you to here, because this is similar to the Jedi or the Radar, they've got different names throughout Queensland, but is really the thing that's really 
done it for us is this increased referrals to what we have Marta at home have increased by 220% and mainly for social work and OT. So it's being able to have access to those services in the community that has allowed us to get people back to care in the community, whether it's at an aged care facility or back to their home, wherever their place of residence is. So I think it is again about how do we you know, use that to sort of build, beef up the capacity within the community to actually help care for these patients rather than admit them. About 70% of our people coming to the Martyr ED are there because of social care reasons. It's a really big issue in the old frail person. Our aged care data is whilst the majority nationally of people are discharged, admitted to the wards, in our case we have about 80 plus percent of them being discharged home by this team. And we looked at the carer satisfaction and it really is about what the patients need. And many of the times we do a lot of care, but it's not always within the, what, what the patients have articulated. They need. And that is a, I'm not going to read it, but that is a quote from a carer. From a health professional point of view, they basically said that this was a much valued, much needed service. That's from both the hospital in the orange and the blue is the GPs and the aged care facility staff. So what we need to go forward is we need to look at what this governance is for integrated care from both the acute, the private, and the social care sector. We use it as a co-creation methodology and get people together to say what is the problem and how can we all add value to this. Obviously the funding mechanisms and the incentives as to how we do that is something that we're working on. We need to align what it is the providers, the end users, and the policy makers need to get this to work. And we also need to look at making sure that this is certainly patient-centered. This is a piece of work I've done that is looking at what that governance structure should be. These 10 elements here in that row, these are things that, that when we're working together, when we choose a population that we want to work with, every one of those 10 elements needs to be part of the, the development of designing a system that's going to meet the needs of our patients and our system itself. So we talk a lot about number seven, which is the funding model and about an incentive but we truly need to be able to come together to know how we're going to share data. And people say, oh, that's easy, we'll just share data. We share primary care and hospital data, and I can tell you it's fraught with difficulty. There's lots of issues around it, so we can do it. But, you know, if we really want to do this, there's algorithms that we can now use to bring data together to look at, you know, who are those people who are most at risk of being frail? Until, wait, not wait until they get to the hospital when we know we've, the horse has bolted. You know, we need to identify them in the community to say, how do we put those services where they're needed before we have the problem? So each one of those 10 items really needs to be addressed. We need to look at how we invest in change management and how we invest in innovation, as well as actually how do we share information? What is the mechanism? It doesn't have to be. It's great if you have a, an EMR, an IEMR, but if not, there are still ways of, of sharing information which is good for the patients. So how do you solve a problem like integrated care? I've tried to boil it down to three things because there's many. The first one is, it's about the commitments, and it's about how do we, at every level, get people from both the policymakers at the macro level, at that meso level, that's the executives of your HHSs, private health funds, PHNs, and general practice, how do we get all those people to actually focus on what the problem is? Because they have responsibility for a population, so how do we get what the, that local population needs? Because that's the act local. Those 10 elements, you can't take what happens in Kilcoy and what happens in Brisbane South. They're very different populations, different access to health providers, different, all sorts of different things. So we have to let the people locally determine what that is, but that has to feed back to their, their regional areas and their, and their policy makers as to why we need to be able to be able to adapt to it. So that commitment at all levels for integrated care is a given and it has to happen. 
The other thing that we really need is culture change and leadership, and I know people talk about that, and it, it's actually very hard. It's a massive, massive change in the system to go to one system, one budget, not one pocket of, everyone goes, oh, we're not gonna give our money up and put it in with their money. It's like, they get really scared. It's how do we look at, we always say it's like pieces of a pie. You know, the acute system might do this, you know, social care might do that, the hospital, you know, we can all do bits of it, but we have to get together and work out how we do that. And it's really working around what is the best thing for the patient. And it is a massive change. It's a massive change to our health providers, to our populations, and what they expect of our health system. And you've got to have slow burn courage because this is not going to happen slowly. We've got great pockets, I know, within Queensland, and there's a lot of people here at the moment with great things that are happening, but we tend to do it in pockets because that's how we generally do change. But we need to have that higher level come in and sort of bring that together to say, how do we systematise it? In closing... It is enormously challenging and you can't underestimate how hard it is and how complex it is. At the moment, there is a lot of talk about integration and the policy speak is right, both from our bilateral agreements with the federal government at the federal level. We need to make use of that and we need to look at how we do that. The incentives are still largely absent. We tend to tinker around the edges and do what we can with what we've got. But I think personally that's up to us to come up with how we might be able to use a different funding model, or do some other things that we might be able to use in a different way to actually trial some of these models that have been tested and trialled in other countries and even within Australia. The heavy lifting will be done by patients, their families and the providers of care, and we really need to support these people in doing this because they're the ones at the coalface that will make this happen, and, and they should too. And we need to look at how we change that governance structure so we have a system approach. The thing we can't forget is that this is about the patients and about their families and it's about caring and we must never lose sight of that. And I think for long enough we've actually moved the deck chairs and we've tried to tinker and we've got great things happening and great pilots, but I think it's time to either change the boat or rebuild the boat. We really actually now need to look at something fundamentally different if we are to have a sustainable integrated care system for the patients who need it. This podcast was produced by Clinical Excellence Queensland. To continue the conversation, follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify.